Well, good morning, church. Welcome to Pottstown Bible Church. It's uh, great to see everyone here. Uh, as I always do, let me start with a scripture. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called into peace. And be thankful. Colossians 3.15. And all God's people said? Amen. So will you stand with me? We're going to raise a praise. You can clap your hands and tap your toe.
take a moment and greet the person next to you. Make sure you tell them your name. Greet them in the name of the, of the Father. Great place to be on a Sunday morning is right here in the house of God.
Father, what a privilege it is to be part of your blessing, part of your family, Lord. I ask that you would accept these offerings, that you would expand them and use them to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
Inside, ain't gonna 
person on the other side of you this time. Tell them your name. Tell them you're glad to see them. Okay, so we're going to continue in our study through the book of Romans. This section that we're going to be hitting today, if you have a personal Bible, starting around verse 21, you can put a heart there, because this is basically what is known in theological terms as the heart of the gospel. It's all Paul's culmination of what he's been teaching comes up to this point where he really begins to unpack what truly is the gospel. I want you to think this morning as we go through this, I want you to be thinking about if a friend came up to you outside, wherever you're at at work, and they asked you, what is the gospel? What is that eugalion? What does that mean? Where is that found in the scriptures? The important question, if you are a true believer, is would you be able to unpack that for them and explain to them what the gospel truly is? So we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We're going to read verses 19 through 26. And then starting in 19, I'm going to hopefully unpack this for you. Because if there's anything that Dr. Carter and I would want you to understand is what is the gospel? Why is that important? One thing that everybody here knows and you listening around the world know, someday you're going to die. There's going to come a time when you're not going to wake up anymore. So what is written here should have a profound impact on your life this morning. So follow along with me in verses 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and all of the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Verse 21. But now, but now, church, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all those who believe. There is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now look at verse 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in who? Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. And in verse 26, For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let's go to slide three. Let's unpack these verses this morning. Slide three, starting at 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Slide four. I like how the New Living Translation spells it out in our modern day thinking. Obviously, the law applies to them, to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Look at these verses. What is Paul saying to us here? <clears throat> He's telling us that the law speaks to those who are under it. Now, we've already learned, we've already stated that the Old Testament was addressed primarily to the Jews of that day. We know that the Old Testament was given to them, and other people at that time did not have it. So Paul was primarily speaking at this point to the Jews. The law, as it is used here in this verse, actually, church, speaks to the entire Old Testament canon, not only the Ten Commandments. And we know this because Paul, as we've learned in the previous weeks, has been quoting throughout these verses from passages in Psalms and Proverbs that we looked at last week. So then Paul was saying that these very revelations, these oracles of God, of which the Jews were boasting about, and they deemed that Old Testament as authoritative, actually proved to them that they, the Jews, were just as much under condemnation and wrath as the Gentiles were. Of course, they didn't like that too much. So this is what Paul's been trying to prove to them throughout the past few chapters. Paul was, in essence, saying to them this. Listen, guys. I've shared with you from the very oracles that were entrusted to you. These oracles that you claim to be so proud of and were boasting about, that you Jews, just like the Gentiles, from the Old Testament itself, shows that you have all so fallen short of the glory of God. And he wanted them to know, and he wants all of us to know, the law will not save you. These revelations, these oracles proved to the Jews that they are sinners just like the Gentiles or the unbelievers were that day. Here's something else that Paul says that we need to take notice of. So that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable. What is he saying here? 
See, Paul's trying to put an end to this dispute once and for all. And it's interesting the terminology that he's using here in the text. It has the idea of this courtroom. I mean, picture a courtroom, church. He says, every mouth may be closed, or I like again how the NLT puts it, to keep people from having excuses. Church, this has the idea of a defendant who has absolutely no more to say in response to the charges that has been brought against him or her. We see that word accountable, hubidikos. What does it mean? It means to be liable to prosecution. You're guilty. You're condemned. Paul says that the world may be accountable to God. So he's given this this vivid picture here of God as both the one who's been offended and the one who's actually weighing the evidence and pronouncing the verdict, the just and the justifier. And we've already learned that His judgment is always true and fair. And we get this picture of all, all of humanity standing before holy God and accountable to Him, liable to His prosecution for the willful and inexcusable violation of His law, all humanity awaiting the sentence of condemnation for their actions. That includes you and I. Excluded. Think about it. Paul's saying that God has chosen people cannot be excluded from the judgment and surely the Gentiles who have no claim on God's favor are also guilty. All the humanity, church. Each one of us is liable to God's prosecution. Put up slide five. Five and six. Look, look at Jesus addressing this uh, rich young ruler here in Luke 18 through 22. Actually, 23. So Luke 18, a ruler questions him saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness or do not be a liar. Honor your mom and your dad. Richard Ron Ruler responds, All these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, slide six, he responds, There's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 23. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad because he was very rich. So church, now think about this text. What is this rich publican? What's he trying to do? Think about it. He's trying to do what most people today still try to do. He's trying to make this case that he's a really good person, even from when he was a little kid. He's trying to justify himself. I'm good. Look what I've done. I've done it all, God. Why, why am I going through all this struggle today, God? I've done it all, God. Here's the problem. God knows his heart, and he knows your heart, and he knows my heart. So he knew exactly how to respond to this rich publican. Sell all that you possess. Distribute it to the poor. And look, then you're going to have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Who are you following this morning, church? Think it, think it through. Who are you really 
following. They videotape the past three weeks of your life. Who would it show that you're really following? You see, at this point, this rich guy had nothing to say. And church, guess what? His mouth had been stopped. There was no room for self-defense, no room for self-justification, no argument left to make. Hear me this morning. None of us have any argument left to make. All of us, myself included, all of us are guilty before God. Look at slide seven. Here's some questions to ask yourself. Forget me, I'm insignificant. Look at these questions. Have you been silenced in the presence of God? Think about it. Have you been silenced in the presence of God? Has the sinfulness of our hearts been silenced yet? Aren't we done arguing with God? Do you, do you still think that any of us are good enough on our own? Are, are, are we still, church, are we still trying to make excuses to justify why we have our sinful behaviors? And, and sadly, if we think this way, we really don't understand the scriptures. Slide 8. We've learned that there is none righteous, not even one. The entire world is guilty before God. Make no mistake about that. Church, hear me this morning. When you and I come to understand our true condition, each one of us can put our hand over our mouth because none of us have anything left to say in our defense. We never did. This is what Paul has been trying to show them all the way back to Romans 1.18. Remember that? Slide 9. For the orge, the wrath of God, is continually being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who kateko, who force back, who suppress the truth. They don't want to hear it in their unrighteousness. The problem is that we are all guilty. We are all answerable to God. Hear me this morning. You and I must humbly come before Yahweh and we must admit that we do not know what to say to Him in His presence concerning this. All of us, let's be honest this morning with Him. All of us have tried to defend simple behaviors in our life. But hear me this morning. He is the one who brings you and I to the end of ourselves so that we can now see how desperately we need Christ in our life. In His sight, we have no answer that we can give Him. Look at verse 20, slide 10. This will be 10 and 11. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be declared right, justified, made right in His sight. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And again, here's the NLT. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we really are. What does Paul mean here? Listen, he wants the Jews as well as you and I to know that the law will never save us. Church, there is nothing that we can ever do on our own part to gain acceptance with God. Faith in Christ alone is the only way to God.
God never gave the law as a way of salvation. Paul makes this clear in Romans 8, 3, slide 12. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. See that? Two words to underline in your Bible. God did. How did God do it? Well, it tells us right in the text. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Look at how the New Law of Living puts it. Slide 13. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law couldn't do. He sent his only son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Boom, 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 there's the gospel right there. God knew we could never keep the law because we are in fact weak in our flesh. All of us are. The law was given through Moses, as Paul clearly states here, because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the law reveals the terrible character of sin. The function of the law is to define sin, reveal its nature, so this is why we are all without excuse. Church, sin comes out of hiding It reveals its character. It reveals its ugliness. We all sin it because we're part of it. We do it. When a person sees the law and he begins to understand it, he then can see the vileness of his own sin nature. So then, the law reveals to us that you and I cannot save ourselves. And each of us, hopefully by now, should conclude that we are by nature children of wrath just as Ephesians 2.3 says. We have no defense. We have no argument. All of our mouths should be closed. Every person naturally loves to have his own way, his own will. Every person likes to vote themselves to be okay, but they're not okay. It's very easy to say, look at what that person over there is doing. Wow. I'm not bad like that person over there. That person gets drunk. That person gets high. That person's this or that. You and I are just as guilty before God. So hear me this morning. Until God the Holy Spirit makes a person alive again, that person is dead in their trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1 So now up to this point, hopefully by now, we're able to see our hopeless condition. Church, this is important because no human being can be a Christian without realizing their utter hopelessness without Christ. Where are you with that today? How can you come to Christ for help if you don't even see your need for His help, your hopelessness without Him? But now, the heart of the gospel, Paul makes a shift. And he uses two words that are beautiful. The Greek words are noonie day. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. There's slide 14. Even the righteousness of God through faith 
in Jesus Christ. You can underline that in your Bible. Through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, there's no distinction. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, your color, your skin. None of that matters. There's no distinction. That's what he's telling us. Slide 15. The New Living puts it this way. I love how the New Living puts this for us. Same things. Noonie day. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Now look at verse 22. Oh boy, look at it. We are made right with God. How? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ, in Yahweh. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. There it is in the text. But now, two of the most wonderful, incredible verses. It's like God comes on the scene, gives us this through Paul, boom, right there. Paul now begins to explain how the righteousness of God, his justifying activity, now empowers the gospel to bring salvation to simple people like you and I. By the death of his only unique son, the monogenes, Jesus Christ, God has done something for you and I that is incredible. He has acted to deliver and vindicate his people apart from the law. Because we couldn't keep it anyway. Hear me. When Satan comes and begins to whisper in your ear, and he begins to accuse you, and you agree with him, but you can also say this, yeah, that was true about me, but now. Slide 16. I love how Martin Luther unpacks this. Look at this. Follow this along. Martin Luther says this. Faith is this protest. It is this standing up in spite of everything that may be said against us on earth or in hell. We say, no one can finally convict me because of my new position in Christ Jesus. But now, I am no longer in condemnation. I was once there, but I am no longer there. Can that be said about you this morning? Slide 17. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Or but now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him. Hear me this morning. Don't miss this, please. God, the Father, has provided a righteousness and has revealed it. It is entirely of God's grace. And hear me, it's a free gift. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. There's no backroom deals to make with God to slip him something to get in. It is entirely of God's grace. It's a free gift. You don't purchase it. You don't earn it. How is it available? It is only available through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. This righteousness, 
this act by where God declares us right, hear me, it's provided by God. Listen, it's prepared by God. It's made of, been av- made available by God, and it's God's gospel. We need to keep in mind that the whole essence of sin in our lives is high-handed rebellion against God. Man is estranged from God, and therefore man needs to be reconciled to God. So what does God do? God provides a way of salvation, and it is God who provided everything that is needed in it in the person of Jesus Christ. I hope you're hearing me this morning. Listen, it is God the Father who sent His only Son. He gave His Son this task. So church, it is Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ who reconciles us to the Father. Where does it say that, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked. Slide 18. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. Read it. Not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Hear me. Listen. The gospel, church, was planned long before the foundation of the world. And because God planned it long before the foundation of the world, He was able to reveal it at the time He wanted to reveal it in the law and the prophets. What does the text say? Slide 19. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Church, this is why we have these prophecies in the Old Testament. I think there's some 333 prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament. They were witnessed by the prophets. God had a plan that He has instituted whereby man can be saved and reconciled to the Father. God, on the basis of what God did in His Son, listen, freely forgives and absolves us from our sins. But that is for those who believe the gospel. Then He does something else. He then clothes us with His righteousness, and He declares us to be just and right in His sight. This righteousness of Christ is credited to us, put into our account, so then we can stand accepted in the sight of God. Hear me this morning. Paul is highlighting for you and I faith as a means by which God's justifying work now becomes applicable to each of us. Look at slide 20. But Paul also states the charge against all of us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, highlight that in your Bible. That is a clear statement about the consequence of sin. Paul has already proved that all of us are under sin, and that is the condition of all men. We were all born outside of the Garden of Eden, church. This is what the fall of mankind has done to the human race. And we've already defined what sin is. You know, we look at the Greek word harmatino or hamartia. It means to miss the mark. You know, the idea of an archer. There's the bullseye, cocks it back, throws the arrow, 
but instead of hitting the bullseye, it falls short. Doesn't make it. That's all of us. We're never going to be good enough. We've all missed the mark. But sin is also lawlessness and unrighteousness. Sin is trespass, meaning that you follow your own will instead of God's. Have any of us been guilty of that? I have. And church, when you open up these scriptures, this verse reveals the cold, brutal truth about all of us. And it's interesting, Paul's use of the word sin is in the aorist tense, meaning past tense, which has the idea of something that has been done once and forever. We've all sinned. And all of us are continually coming short of the glory of God. We've all died in Adam as a result of sin. How about slide 21? Where does it say that, Pastor Jack? I want you to know this. Make sure you highlight this in your Bible. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, <clears throat> that man was Adam. And as a result of that, death spread to all men because all have sinned. So church, we inherited that sin nature from our very, very first parents. And it's been passed down, that progeny has been passed down to all of us. So sin not only makes a person unrighteous, it does something else. It robs him of the glory of God. So when we can finally understand this, we can then realize just how foolish and futile it is to ever think that we can be made right by God by any activity or works, that we could ever be able to stand fit in front of God. I'm hoping this morning, and for what you learned last week, that you really are beginning to see how important this is. If you don't know how evil and sinful we are, you're never going to understand the gospel, the whole gospel. Look at slide 22, Romans 3:24. Here's how God does this rescue mission. This is what God does. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Look at those statements right there. And if you have a personal Bible, I beg you, plead with you, highlight it, underline it. This is, this is beautiful here. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in one person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Paul answers the question for you and I as to what salvation is, and he says it right here. Being justified, being declared right with the Father. Hear me this morning. This means that you and I are declared right with the Father. It is a legal term. This does not mean that you and I are made righteous, but we are declared righteous. It is positional. Look at slide 23. This being declared right, this is the definition pretty much of deoxine or righteousness. Being declared right as an act of God's free grace upon sinners in which he pardons our sins and accepts us as right in his sight. Can you imagine for a moment how amazing and incredible that is? I mean, I, I think about 
and I'm old school because I'm, I'm an old man, I think about the VCR tape popping in. Here's, here's your life over the past four weeks. How many people do we crucify with our mouth? How many arguments do we have? How many times do we hurl out profanity like a junkyard dog? How many hurtful things? How many things do we do that we know are sinful, but we did it anyway? Think about that. Just over the past two or three weeks, or over the past week. And then you come to Romans 3.24. And he says, being declared right, it is an act of God's free grace upon sinners, in which in spite of all of that, he pardons us, and he accepts us as right. And church, I hope by now we realize this is not a result of something that we could ever do on our own. Being justified. It means that we are declared righteous. The very moment you come to a saving faith in Christ, boom, it's applied to you. How does this salvation become ours? Slide 24. He answers this. It becomes ours by His grace. Salvation is a gift. I know it's hard for us to wrap our head around because people that really hurt us and wound us, we don't think about going up to that person and saying, oh, here's a gift. Thanks for harming my heart, crushing my spirit. But here, here you go. I, it blows my mind. It's a, it's a gift from God. It comes freely. We don't pay for it. It doesn't charge for it. That's how it comes to us. There's no cost. Slide 24. Working definition of the word charis, the word grace. You can mark this in your Bible. It means unmerited favor. Grace is showing kindness to somebody who does not deserve to be shown kindness to at all. It's completely unmerited, meaning there's no reason to show it. That is every one of us. Showing kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it at all. And there's no reason to show it. What's Paul using this word? And again, 2,000 years ago, they understood what these words meant. What's Paul trying to get across to us? He wants us to know that there's absolutely nothing in any of us to deserve this free gift of salvation. It's just something we receive freely. Look at slide 25. Let's get personal for a moment. Are you relying on something else to save you? Now ask yourself that question. Well, Lord, you know, I come to church. I put some coins in the offering plate. I serve some meals. I help the homeless person across the street or the old lady. I do this and that and all. None of that. It's like filthy rags. None of that. None of that. If you're relying on someone else to save you or yourself, you're in trouble. Do you still think that you're a good enough person to avoid God's wrath that maybe he'll let you slide on in? No. If I was in that kitchen this morning and I had my wife handed me seven eggs and one of the eggs was rotten and the other six were good, I put all those eggs in to start mixing it up, would you still want to eat that omelet? It takes one sin. God will not let sin into heaven. Make no mistake about it. Without Christ, we are hopeless, church. Hopeless. This free gift that we're talking about this morning. 
is given to people like me and people like you who don't deserve it. In fact, all of us, if we want to be truly honest with the Lord, we deserve the opposite. Hear me this morning. This grace, this unmerited favor, this kindness being shown to you and I that don't deserve it, hear me, it is an expression of God's love for you and for me. And it comes from God's very heart. And this grace, this unmerited favor, this kindness that we don't deserve arises solely from His love for us without anything in you and I to produce it. Think about it. He loves you and me in spite of ourselves, church. His love is an agape toy love. It's unconditional. His love is not predicated on performance or value. It's unconditional. Because if it did, I'd be in trouble. And this grace He freely gives, it's coming from the very God whom you and I, church, have disobeyed, whom you and I have rebelled against and defied and sinned against over and over and over again. And He still loves us. And it is His grace that reconciles us to the Father. How does the Father make it possible? Slide 26. There's the next answer. How? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Church, God is a loving God, but make no mistake about it, He's a just God. So something had to happen to pay for all of our sin debt. The text says through or by means of Christ Jesus. That is how it's made possible for us. By means of all that happened through Christ, His perfect obedience to the law, His sacrificial death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead. This is what made it possible for each and every one of us. I want to look at one final point here. He uses the word redemption. It's the Greek word apolytrosis. And we have to be careful that we don't eisegete. We don't want to take our 21st century thinking, drill it down in the Bible to make it comply to our 21st century thinking. When I looked at this, I had to say to myself, let's go back 2,000 years ago. What did these words mean in the ears of the people who lived and heard these words back then 2,000 years ago so that we can get a proper application of it to our own lives in the present? So you have to be thinking, okay, what did the word mean to these people as he's penning this letter to the small church in Rome 2,000 years ago? Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So that word redemption. The word has a very interesting history to it. And if we can understand this word, we can really see the, the significance of power of the gospel. <clears throat> First, it meant to mean the loosing of clothing or armor. That's what the word redemption meant. The first meaning of that word meant the loosing of clothing or armor. Later on, this word redemption came to mean to set an animal loose or, listen, for loosening the bands of a prisoner, taking the handcuffs off. <clears throat> then it came to mean 
taking those handcuffs off the prisoner by paying a ransom for the prisoner. So why is this so important? Church, hear me. Man, as a result of sin, has become a slave to sin and of the devil. Man is handcuffed, shackled, and in bondage. And most of the time, because they're dead in their sins, don't even realize it, that they're in bondage. So man, on his own, is completely helpless. Until the Holy Spirit wakes him up, doesn't even realize why. But church, hear me. A payment has been made. A ransom has been paid. Christ came to ransom us. He pays our sin debt. So we as prisoners who are handcuffed or shackled have had the handcuffs removed and loosed. And we who were slaves to sin have now, because of what Jesus did by paying the ransom, has been set free. Do you understand that you and I could never do this on our own? So that's what it means that our redemption is in Christ Jesus. It is by Jesus Christ alone, by His finished work on that cross, by the spilling of that crimson blood that purchased us and set us free. I, you know, church, if a church doesn't preach the blood, hear me, you listening around the world, run. Blood was spilled. The cross was not a nice crystal clean place with a gold little thing on the wall. It was a very bloody, horrible place of capital punishment and execution. It was bloody. The flagellum that ripped the skin off his back when he beat him 39 times, tearing his flesh that most likely his spine was exposed. Blood was spilled. When they put a crown of thorns on his head and then beat his head with a reed, blood was spilled. And if a church ain't teaching that, run. I beg you, run. So I can tell you, by that spilled blood, that blood was the ransom that was paid to the Father. So we are forgiven and we are delivered from the power of Satan only through Christ alone. His coming to earth, living, dying, rising himself again from the dead has provided the payment of the price that was essential for your deliverance and my deliverance. It was Christ alone and his cross. And it is spitting in his face and evil to think that something else has that kind of power to free you and I. It was God's heart that exploded on that cross. It gives us a little bit more detail in verse 25. Slide 27. So, again, again, Paul's bringing out the remaining part of this. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God he had passed over sins previously committed. What does this mean? We've learned now from the previous verse that Jesus Christ redeemed his people by means of a ransom. We learned that his death on the cross was the ransom that freed us from guilt and enslavement to sin. But look at these words. <clears throat> this wasn't a secret little thing with maybe 15 people in a room with a lethal injection. This was whom God 
displayed publicly. Publicly. Why is this important for you and I to know? God doesn't put anything in the Bible by accident. Paul wants you and I to understand that the death of Christ was no accident. Hear me this morning. It was God the Father's work. It was God the Father's plan. It was the Father who displayed His own Son publicly there at Calvary on that cross. It was the Father who sent forth, as the King James says it, Jesus Christ as a sacrifice. Look at slide 28. This man, now look, delivered over by a what? What's that word? Predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This was a public act, church. It wasn't hidden. Why did he do this? Slide 29. Here we go. Almost done. As a propitiation in his blood through faith. We don't use that word propitiation much today. We use the word maybe appease or advert. But the Greek word there is the word hilasterion. What did that word mean to the people he was writing to 2,000 years ago? I want you to know your Bible. What did he mean? You can write the word hilasterion right above the word propitiation in your personal Bible. Actually, it goes all the way back to an Old Testament thinking of mercy seat, to appease, to avert wrath. Let me unpack this for you. Here we have a dilemma this morning. If God is just and holy as the scriptures teach us, then how in the world can he forgive the wicked? Here is the greatest problem for all mankind. If God is just, he demands that justice must be done. Now we all know that it is the work of a judge to do justice. Think of a courtroom. Prosecutor puts the stuff up there. Other side puts the stuff up there. The judge declares a verdict. He pronounces a verdict. The penalty for the wicked. Hear me this morning. Don't we demand justice from our earthly judges? When somebody does horrible things, don't we want that judge to make sure they throw away the key and lock them up? If someone is murdered or your loved ones, what you want justice to be done? So if you and I demand justice from our earthly judges, what about God? Here's the dilemma. How can a just God forgive sins and still be just? Slide 30. We already learned that the payment for sin is death. So then true justice demands that we must die, that all of us really should be punished, completely punished. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all know this. So Paul gives us the answer. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Let's make sure we understand the word mercy seat, propitiation, hilasterion. It's the same Greek word that was used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So why is Christ called 
this mercy seat. Why is Paul using this terminology to help the people understand how important this gospel is? Well, in the temple, there was a place called the Holies of Holies. The Greek word is naos. The temple altogether is a herion, but in the temple, you had the Holy of Holies. And as you all know, the priest would go in there once a year with bells on his robe and a rope tied around him. And he would take blood from a hyssop branch that he dipped in blood from a spotless lamb, and he would sprinkle the blood there. And the Holy Spirit would come down and take that blood as a covering for the sins of the nation of Israel. Paul, so these people would understand this thinking here. Okay? As I just said, it was to make atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. This mercy seat was made of gold. There was a cherubim on each side facing each other, representing the very presence of God. Inside the ark, under the lid, which was the mercy seat, that's actually where the Ten Commandments sat, which is the law. So then what does it mean to propitiate? What does this mean? You see, the word has the idea of turning aside divine wrath or atoning sacrifice. Put up slide 31. John Owen kind of gives us a little help here. Four things which are essential to propitiate wrath. One, an offense has to be taken away. The person offended needs to be pacified. There needs to be an offending person, a person who is guilty of the offense. And number four, a sacrifice or some other means of making atonement for the offense. This propitiating was necessary because you and I are sinners. What is being taught here is this. Now listen, I'm going to bring this, break this down. I'm trying not to lose you. I don't want you to fall asleep. What is being taught here is that Christ received God's judgment and wrath against our sin in His own body. There's your propitiation. God, the lightning bolt from heaven, God punished the Son. So that's how He can be the just and justifier. Jesus Christ fully absorbed, now listen, fully absorbed the judgment for you and I by His shedding blood and physical death. The cross indeed satisfied the Father and has met the Father's righteous demands. So then in, the, in His love, God the Father satisfies the justice He demands with a sacrifice or a propitiation, a sacrifice that is powerful and holy enough to avert the Father's wrath against you and I and all mankind. Think about that for a moment, church. I want you to just let this sink in. God, who you and I have offended, has provided himself the way that your sin and my sin can be dealt with. His anger, his wrath against sin, and the sinner has been satisfied, appeased, averted. So now he can reconcile you and I to himself. How is Jesus the propitiatory sacrifice? Slide 32. In his blood through faith. So now you can see from verses 21 through 25, the gospel is right there. Slide 32. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Just put up 33 for time's sake. 
He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. You can circle that right in your Bible. Highlight it, underline it. It's right there. You notice through all these verses, there's no secondary or third way of making yourself right with God. There's only one way. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid your sin debt in full as a gift. And all you can do is receive it. That's it. Ephesians 1, 7 is right there. Boom. So when we, as I close, when we think about the blood and the cross, we come to see that our sin, hopefully we see that our sin is so terrible and foul and vile that absolutely nothing could deal with it except the crimson blood that flowed through the veins of Christ. That's what happened at the cross. Everything for you and I to make us right happened at the cross. The cross makes you and I see ourselves as the guilty sinners we are. I'm just going to have you guys go all the way to the last slide. Go to the last slide, 4041. I'm going to close here. I'm going to close with Philippians 2. I can tell that I'm, your brains are dripping out of your ears, so I'm going to let you, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going to give you a little break. Dr. Carr and I could be up here teaching all day. Philippians 2. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, born as a human being, appearing in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to the Father or to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Why do we want to spit in his face? Amen. Therefore, God elevated him. <clears throat> to the place of highest honor. Gave him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under earth. Every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's your gospel. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his counsel upon you and give you peace.